Every effective communicator knows the value of a well-worded conclusion. Regardless of whether that communicator is a silver-tongued politician seeking re-election or an irate coach fuming at halftime in the locker room or a radio personality who is giving a 30-second endorsement as a word from our sponsor or a faithful preacher who stands up and boldly proclaims the word of God, every effective communicator understands the value of a well-worded conclusion. When you listen to a message, regardless of whether that message is on the radio, a commercial, an advertisement, a speech, or a sermon, when that sermon or message is over, you as the listener have something to do, change, believe, or behave in light of what you've heard. Every message is meant to move you. Every message, every, uh, every commercial, everything that you hear is meant to move you to actually do something. Whether you're listening to a commercial, it's to move you to buy this product over that product, to go to this vacation spot over that vacation spot, to start doing this and to stop doing that. Every message, and you are inundated by messages every single day, every message is meant to move you to do something. Jesus is a masterful communicator. He knows how to move a crowd. He knows the value of a well-worded conclusion. After all, he spoke the world into existence. So putting together a few lines at the end of a message that is powerful is not much of a stretch for the Savior. When you and I come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus packs a punch with his words. He wants the crowd to make a decision. He wants the listener to do something. Over the last four and a half months, we have been carefully examining the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher to have ever lived. And today, we come to the 18th and final sermon in this series entitled The Good Life. So today, I invite you to take your Bible, once again, turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 21 to 29. Once you've found your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. Matthew chapter 7, let's begin at verse 21, we'll read through verse 29. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, like a wise man who built his house on the rock, the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the stream rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. This is the word of the Lord, 
And thanks be to God, you may be seated. Throughout this entire message, Jesus has been comparing and contrasting two forms of righteousness. Last week, we identified these forms of righteousness as cultural righteousness versus Christ righteousness. Jesus says the first form is really no form at all, for cultural righteousness begins with the understanding that it's based on human achievement. But Christ righteousness understands that it's based on divine accomplishment. Cultural righteousness says that salvation can be earned, but Christ righteousness declares that God's favor cannot be merited. Cultural righteousness believes that heaven is a right, but Christ righteousness believes that heaven is a gift. Cultural righteousness declares that so long as you do more good than bad, it'll tip the scale in your favor and God will be obligated to let you into his heaven. But Christ's righteousness declares that there's no way you and I could do enough good to stand one second in the presence of God Almighty on our own. Cultural righteousness says that holiness is based on external obedience to a list of rules and regulation, but Christ's righteousness declares that holiness is literally Christ living in us. Any clown can confuse the matter. It only takes a wise person to take that which is convoluted and confusing and bring it clarity. Jesus is no clown. Jesus knows how to speak with clarity. All throughout the message, he's been summarizing all of life in either one of two choices. Either uh, all of life is two roads, and on those two roads, there are two gates, and on those two roads with two gates, it leads to two distinct destinations. Or, Jesus says in the verses that follow that, all people are like uh, two trees. Two trees that produce two types of fruit, for the good tree bears good fruit, the bad tree bears bad fruit, and a good tree can't consistently bear bad fruit, and a bad tree can't consistently bear good fruit, so by their fruit, you'll recognize them. And then in our passage, Jesus says that there are two men, and these two men build two houses, and and these two houses are subject to one storm, and there are two outcomes. Consistently throughout the sermon, it's either point A or point B, choice one or choice two. He doesn't convolute the issue because any clown can make it confusing. But Jesus makes all of life clear. He says it's either path A or path B. And Jesus is consistent. Jesus comes to the end and he brings together a fundamental understanding of our faith. The principle is this, that our knowing must precede our doing. Who we know influences what we do. And Jesus goes one step further. Who we know validates what we do. So knowing must precede doing. And Jesus doesn't want us to be confused about this. Jesus doesn't want us to get this backwards. Jesus doesn't want us to get this in reverse. All throughout the sermon, Jesus has been comparing and contrasting two roads of righteousness. And and as he's been going, he's been saying, listen, I don't want to give you conditions for Christianity. Jesus says, I've been describing characteristics of Christianity. Because Jesus comes to the end and he says, 
Who you know determines what you do. It's not what you do that determines who you know. Who you know validates what you do. It's not what you do that validates who you know. Think about the body of the sermon. It's not that Jesus is saying that after he gets through the Beatitudes, he gets to a whole laundry list of items. It's not that Jesus is saying that, uh, listen, in order for you to be a Christian, you just can't kill anybody. No, Jesus says a characteristic of Christianity is that we don't even get angry at our brother because we want to keep our, our temper at bay because we understand that when anger gets the best of us, it reveals the worst in us. It's not that Jesus later on says that, listen, if you want to be a Christian, then um, a Christian is someone who never commits adultery. No, Jesus says a, a common characteristic of Christianity is that there's purity in every aspect of your life. It's not that Jesus says, in order for you to be a Christian, you can't get a divorce. But Jesus does say that a characteristic of Christianity is that we regard marriage as sacred. And by God's definition, we say that marriage is one man and one woman for life. And even when World War III happens, and it will, when World War III happens, you don't throw out the divorce word as a viable option. Jesus says, listen, it's not that you're a Christian so long as you tell the truth. But one of the characteristics of being a Christian is that you're a truth teller, so you let your yes be yes and your no be no. Jesus is not saying that in order for you to be a Christian, you've got to give and you've got to pray and you've got to fast. But what he is saying is that common characteristics of Christianity is that we are people who give and pray and fast. Jesus is not saying that uh, in order for you to be a Christian, you can't worry. But what he is saying is that a characteristic of Christianity is that we don't worry about anything. And when we've taken a look at the animal kingdom and the plant kingdom and the human kingdom, and it doesn't profit us at all to actually worry. In fact, how does it benefit us at all? It doesn't, so we don't do it. Jesus is even not saying that in order for you to be a Christian, uh, you, you, don't, you can't judge anybody. That if you don't judge anybody, then you're automatically a Christian. No, he's not saying that at all. He's saying that a characteristic of Christianity is that you don't walk around with a self-righteous, superior, egotistical, unmerciful, condemning disposition towards anybody else. You see, Jesus is putting everything in proper perspective. When he gets to the very end, he says, I don't want you to be confused. I don't want you to think I'm giving you character, uh, uh, conditions of entering the kingdom. I'm giving you characteristics of kingdom people. This is how kingdom people live. This is what kingdom people do this is a, a kingdom guy and a kingdom gal. This is how they get along. This is the, the attributes, the characteristics of kingdom people. But Jesus gets to the end and he, lets, and he says, listen, don't get the cart before the horse. Because who you know determines what you do. And who you know determines and validates what you do. Now, Jesus puts the cookies on a bottom shelf when he says, beginning in our passage, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. I tell you, many people will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not in your name drive out demons? Did we not do many mighty miracles? And Jesus says, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. 
I don't know about you, but these are the most horrific words ever found on the lips of Jesus, right? I mean, this is scary. This is horrific. These are people who think they're in, but Jesus will say they're out. What's the basis of them thinking they're in? They think they're in because of what they do indicates who they know. And Jesus says, no, you've got that backwards. It's who you know that determines what you do. There'll be many people who say to me, Lord, Lord. I don't know how many are many, but I know that it's more than some and less than every, right? It's somewhere in between there. It's more than some, it's less than every, it's many. There'll be many people who say to me, Lord, Lord. Many people who are outside of the church, but they think that they're still okay with God. Many people who may be inside church and think they're okay just because they're in the safe confines of the sanctuary. Many people will say to me, Lord, Lord. That phrase, Lord, Lord, is a term of endearment. Whenever a name was said two times in a row, it was, a, it, was a, it was a term of affection. This is what Jesus says to Martha. You remember, she's all bound up in knots. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. What he's saying is, you're dear sweet Martha. It's Martha, Martha. Jesus says that on that day, there are going to be a lot of people that try to cozy up to Christ. There'll be a lot of people who try to saddle up to the Savior and say, Lord, Lord, we're on speaking terms. We're on first name basis. We've got the the right lingo. We've got the, the term of endearment, Lord, Lord. And did we not prophesy in your name? What does that mean? Did we not speak your name to others? Did we not teach your name in Sunday school? And here's the scariest one to me. Did we not preach your name from pulpits? Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do the supernatural and the spectacular? For we drove out demons and performed mighty miracles. Did we not do a lot of good religious activity? Lord, Lord, you know me. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy and preach and teach? And did we not do mighty things? And did we not attend many revival services? And did we not always show up when the doors were open? And did we not pray out loud? Oh, Lord, did we not do these mighty things? And Jesus will plainly say to them, depart. I never knew you. That word to know means to have intimate knowledge of. It's not that Jesus is a senile Savior. It's not that Jesus has selective omniscience. No, Jesus knows everything. He knows everything about everything. There's no one thing he knows better than any other thing because he knows everything equally well, right? I mean, Jesus knows everything. So he's omniscient. It's not that Jesus says, I I wasn't even aware you were created. It's not that he's saying, I wasn't even aware you were on the planet. He's not saying, I, I just, I just uh, was absent-minded. I, I just didn't understand. No, Jesus is saying, I never recognized you as belonging to me. I never knew you. I never recognized you as my own. I never recognized you as belonging to me. So depart from me, you evildoer. Because Jesus is saying, who you know determines what you do, and who you know validates what you do. You can do a lot of good things, but if you don't know the good God, 
then the good God says the good things you've done are nothing more than evil, wicked things. Knowing God validates what you do. Knowing God determines what you do. So knowing must precede doing. If you take at face value the words of Jesus, right now you've got to ask yourself the question, how do I know that I'm known? Right? I mean, how do I know that I'm known? How do I know that I know God and that God knows me? How do I know that I'm known? And if you're asking that question, good. You're following the logic of the Lord. That's exactly what he wants you to ask. That's exactly the spot he wants you to get. He is moving us to this point. Why? Because he understands a well-worded conclusion. He knows what he's doing. He's getting us to the point of making a decision for him that will be lifelong and eternal. And so Jesus is begging us to ask the question, how can I know that I'm known? And in good preacher fashion, Jesus wraps it up with a story. He concludes with an illustration. And in the illustration, he's issuing the invitation to anyone who will listen. Jesus says, anyone who hears my words and puts them into practice is like a, a wise man who built his house on a rock. The storm came over the horizon the rains fell, the waters rose, the winds blew, and that house stood. But anyone who hears my words and refuses to put them into practice, it's like a foolish man who built his house on shifting sand. The storm came over the horizon, and the rains fell, and the waters rose, and the winds blew, and that house fell with a great crash. And that's it. That's the end of the sermon. Jesus sits down after that, leaving the ringing of the crashing house echoing in the listener's ears. People must have walked away from the mountainside that day and thought, what was that all about? I mean, I was tracking with him all throughout the sermon. I mean, the, the different forms of righteousness and what we ought to do and how he explains the law and internalizes it and what we ought, how we ought to live our life. I was with him. And then at the very end, he gives us a lesson on architecture. I mean, why does he do that? I mean, everybody knows, every bozo knows that you never build a house on sand. Everybody knows that. It's foolish to do that. Everybody knows, you don't have to have a degree in architecture to understand that you need to build your house on a solid foundation. Why is Jesus giving us a lesson on building a home? And the point is, Jesus is not giving us a lesson on how to build a home. He's giving us a lesson on how to build a life. I've been told that the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount are not given for us to admire, but us to obey. One day, Jesus was teaching, and some people came and said, Hey, Jesus, uh, your, your mom, your brother, your sister, they're, they're waiting for you outside. And Jesus said, Who are my mother, my brothers, and my sisters? Now, keep in mind that right before that, there have been others who have leveled against Jesus the, the indictment that he was insane, 
which uh, his response doesn't bode well. I mean, for Jesus to say, I don't even know who my mother, father, and brothers and sisters are. I mean, Jesus says, who are they? I'll tell you who they are. Those who hear God's word and put into practice, that's my mother, my father, my brother, my sister. And then James, the brother of our Lord, he says in the opening chapter of his letter, don't be a hearer only of the word, but be a doer of the word. Actually put it into practice. Jesus says, the way that you know that you're known is you have to evaluate the foundation of your life. What, what is the, the core of your existence? Upon what or whom do you build your existence? What is the foundation of your survival? Jesus says there are two men. They build two houses. There are two different outcomes. And the difference is bound in what's unseen. It's the foundation. It's only revealed when the storm comes over the horizon. If you think about it, both these men have a lot in common. Both these guys, they, they want to build a house. They share the same dreams and goals and aspirations. They probably are building in the same general vicinity. When the sun is shining, the birds are singing, both the houses look strong enough, don't they? I mean, they look sturdy. It's not like one is leaning. No, they're, they're both built plumb. I mean, they're, they're both built straight. They look good. But the difference is what's unseen, what, what's under the soil. That makes the difference. And it's all the difference in night and day, in survival and death. Jesus says the first man, he takes his time and he digs deep until he hits the bedrock of Palestine. He builds his house on that rock. He takes time to set the footers, lay the concrete, pour the concrete, set a, a sure foundation. And he builds a beautiful house. And the other man, he takes a shortcut. He, he does it his own way. He, he doesn't want to take the time to dig down to the bedrock so he decides to build his house on shifting sand. Jesus says the first man is declared wise. The second one is foolish. The Greek word that's translated fool, we get the English derivative moron. So Jesus is saying there's one guy who's wise, there's another guy who's a moron. You know, it's possible to live your life on earth with or without Christ. It's possible. I mean, there are people who live with Christ that are breathing and walking. There are people who live without Christ and they're breathing and walking, right? It's possible to live life, exist with or without Christ. But Jesus says, the one who lives with me is wise. The one who lives without me is a moron. Don't get angry at me. I'm just echoing the words of Jesus. You, you know it's possible to build a marriage with or without Christ? It's possible. There are a lot of people in our culture that are trying to put together a, something called marriage and it's outside the boundaries of Christ. It's possible for people to be married with or without Christ. And Jesus says the marriage that's built with me on Christ is wise. But the couple that builds a marriage outside of Christ. They're nothing more than morons. 
You know, it's possible to parent a child with or without Christ. There are a lot of people trying. The people who try to raise their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, Jesus says, you're a wise parent. But the parent who, you know, lets the child run the roost, the parent who just follows the self-help pop culture psychological babble of our society, Jesus says that person's a moron. You know, it's possible to build a lucrative business with or without Christ. It's possible. It's possible for you to be rich, live in the big house and drive the fancy car with or without Christ. If you don't believe me, just take a look at the Fortune 500 companies. And many of them are led by CEOs who don't know Christ, yet they have a fat bank account. So Jesus knows you you can live in this world and be successful, rich, lucrative, with or without Christ. Jesus would say the people who live life with Christ, they're wise. The people who try to build a business and run a company without Christ, They're morons. They're foolish. Jesus says the difference is what's unseen under the soil, the foundation. And the evidence of that foundation or lack thereof is only revealed when the storm strikes. And the same storm hits both houses. You ask yourself, uh, what is that storm? What is Jesus talking about? What is the storm that's going to affect every house, whether it's built on the sure foundation of Jesus or built on shifting sands? What is the storm? Well, there are a couple of answers to that. One would be that elsewhere, the Bible calls this storm the day. The day of the Lord. You do realize that Jesus is coming back, don't you? I mean, he's coming back. You can bet your bottom dollar. I mean, it's sure shooting. Jesus is coming back. And I know that some of you think to yourself, now, wait a minute, Pastor. It's been 2,000 years. It's been a long time. Are you sure he's coming back? I know he's coming back because the Bible says the day of the Lord is coming. All people will appear before Christ. Those who are in Christ, those who are wise builders, we will stand before Christ And he will evaluate how we built. He will give us rewards. We don't face any condemnation because all of our condemnation was meted out against Jesus at the cross of Calvary. So when Jesus declared it is finished, what he was saying was finished was your judgment and my judgment and the condemnation of all the believers. It was finished there on the cross. And Jesus says, I have drank every last drop of God's holy hostility. Therefore, it is finished. So Paul says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are wise builders, for those who are in Christ. But then other foolish morons will also stand before Christ. On the day of judgment, they they will receive condemnation for all of eternity. The Apostle Paul, in the letter to the, Colossi- uh, to the Corinthian believers, he says, be careful how you build. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 10. Paul says, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder. 
Someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus the Christ. And if any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, or costly stones, or wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day, with a capital D, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each man's work. Paul says, be careful how you build. Jesus, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, says, be careful how you build. Be careful what you do. Because who you know determines what you do. And who you know validates what you do. Don't get those backwards. Don't think that somehow you're doing validates who you know and who you are. No, it is who you are in Christ that validates every religious thing that you do. So be a wise builder. Jesus said the storm is coming. The storm's inevitable. It's going to hit every house. That storm is the day of the Lord. I think it can also um, be something else, and this merely comes just from observation. I've observed that the same storms seem to hit just about every individual, every couple, every family, every church. Have you noticed this? The storm of adversity, the, uh, the storm of disease, the storm of despair. You look around the room and we realize that the storm of cancer hit this house, but not that house, but eventually it hits that house and then that house. Maybe it's the storm of unemployment or the storm of a loss of a child, the storm of marital woes or the storm of, of money difficulties or the storm of disappointment, the storms of being hurt by people that should help you. I mean, all of us have faced different types of adversity. We, we know what it is for the storm of adversity to, to rain down upon us. We, we know what it is for the, for the wind of despair to howl against us and for the, for the waters of disappointment to rise against us. We know what that's like. And what's the difference between the storm that, or the house that stands and the house that collapses? It's in the building material of the foundation. It's that foundation that enables the person, the marriage, the family, the church to stand or collapse. Because Jesus says, be careful how you build. Because that storm which is coming, it will reveal the building material. It will reveal the foundation of your life. So Jesus says, be careful how you build. You can be wise or you can be foolish. You can build a sturdy house or you can build a house that collapses. The difference is in the foundation, the building material. It was Alistair Begg who said that any foundation that cannot handle the torrent of death is too flimsy upon which you need to build your life. Stop and think about that. Any foundation that cannot handle your death is far too flimsy for you to build your life upon. Death will come to your address, right? I mean, we think we're going to live forever on earth, but we're not. Every day the mirror reminds me that I'm getting older. And what my mirror says to me, I bet your mirror says to you. 
I didn't think there'd be very many amens. <laughs> but it's true. Every day reminds us that we're closer and closer to death, exit from this world. Death will come to your address. And when it comes, if you've built your life only on money, will that money carry you to heaven? No. When death comes to your address, if you've built your life on accolades and success in business, will those accolades and will that success carry you to heaven? The answer is no. And when death comes to your house, and if you've built your life even on a good thing, that good thing being family, will your family be able to carry you to the next world, to heaven? And the answer is no. So Alistair Begg says that if any foundation upon which you build your life cannot handle the torrent of death, it's far too flimsy for you. You don't need to build your life on anything that can't handle your death. So my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. And I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before his throne. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. My friend, if you're not built on Christ, you will come to a crash. If you're not established on the Lord, then the storm will overwhelm you. Jesus says you've got one of two options. Either you make a decision for Christ or you reject Christ. There's no middle ground. So on this day, decide for yourself upon whom will you build your life. And Jesus takes his seat. And Jesus sits down. That's it. That's the sermon. That's the message. Jesus says, listen, this is so important. Your knowing precedes your doing. Who you know determines what you do. Who you know validates what you do. Don't be like the many who will say, Lord, Lord, did we not X, Y, and Z? And Jesus will plainly say to you, I don't know you. I don't recognize you as belonging to me. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. My friends, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm not saying this to scare you, to manipulate you, to twist you or any way. I'm just saying that when we stand before the Lord, I want him to look at all of us and be able to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, now come and enjoy much. Friends, the reason I'm pleading with you today, the reason I'm speaking this sermon today, the reason the Lord has led us to this passage today is for us to evaluate upon whom do we build our life. The only thing that will stand and the only thing that will last the only thing that's declared wise, the only thing that's seen through the narrow gate on the narrow road that leads to eternal life is a life that's built on Christ. So this day, make much of Jesus. On this day, give Him your all. On this day, give Him all your success, all of your failures. 
all of your attributes, all of your mess-ups. You give him everything. Because I promise you, that which you give to Jesus, you will not be disappointed. So today, be a wise builder. The last thing I want Jesus to say to me or to you is you are a moron. Oh, my friends, don't be foolish. Build your life on that which will last both now and forevermore. Don't allow your, don't allow your life to come crashing down. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. Lord, we give you this invitation. Oh Lord, we are asking, I think, the right questions. We want to know that we're known. We, uh, we, we want to know you. Lord Jesus, if there's anyone in this house today who does not know you, not recognized by you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, will you please make that obvious to them? Will you please make it abundantly clear and when your spirit does that, will that individual please come and take me by the hand or one of the ministers by the hand as soon as the first note is struck and the first word is sung. Oh, Father, help that individual to come and say, I need my life, everything, to be built on Christ. For those of us who are listening and we have a sure foundation, Lord, I pray that in this moment we're praying for others. We're praying for our children, our family members, our grandchildren, our coworkers. Our teammates, our classmates, people that we, don't, that we know don't know Christ. Lord, please help us to take your words as seriously as you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.